There we go. Um, Marin, when you invited us to open our hands in this sort of posture of like surrender, I wondered if the band was going to follow suit. And people with instruments didn't do it. Man. Um, good morning. This feels weird, and I'm glad that it feels weird because it means there is value in, in gathering together. Um, I'm going to do my best. So normally, I, I get to preach up in the Mosaic Worship Center. Um, I get to lead the Mosaic service, and I typically preach kind of sitting in a stool. Um, so I'm going to do my best not to like walk around to not give uh, camera guy a hard time. So uh, I am Pastor Andrew. See, here I go again. I almost immediately started walking. Uh, I'm Pastor Andrew. I'm one of the one of the pastors here. And when I, when I figured out that this was the text that I, that I had the privilege of sharing this morning, at first I read it and I was like, hold on, God wants me to say what? <laughs> because it, it feels like, even though James was writing to the churches outside of Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago, that this is, this is for us. Um, First thing I want to do is just kind of introduce myself. I have a confession. I, I prayed that I wouldn't have to be here this morning, not because I didn't want to be here, but my wife and I, uh, in two days, will be 38 weeks pregnant, which means um, baby can come at any time, and we would be happy. He is big enough and healthy, so we are praying for uh, his debut. Um, but nonetheless, I'm here and so excited to share these words uh, from James. We're, we're going to be talking about wisdom this morning. Asking the question, like, what is, what is wisdom? What does it mean to have wisdom? What does it mean to be wise? For example, was it wise for me on Friday to cut my own hair? And for those of you who are probably looking in the back, I got this thing that just won't, it just won't stay down. So the verdict is still out on that one. Um, but the thing about wisdom is, is that for people who think they've got a lot of it, probably don't. The people who, uh, who, who admit they, they aren't as wise as, as others might say they are, they're probably pretty wise. Some people have gained a lot of wisdom through years and years of experience. Some people have gained wisdom through fire, experiencing trials and sorrows being forced uh, to become wise often too soon and too young. Some people acquire wisdom through failure. Uh, in fact, learning from our mistakes is one of the greatest blessings uh, that, 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 that is a gift for us. The greatest blessings of failure is that we can learn from them. But if there's one thing that most of us can probably agree about wisdom, it's that we can tell when somebody is using bad wisdom or like no wisdom at all, right? We can almost, it's almost like you can, you can smell it. Uh, like if, if you forget to put on deodorant, Greg, just kidding. Greg didn't forget to put on deodorant. His power went out uh, early this morning, uh, and so he was he was he was kind of in a he was he was forced uh, into calling an audible. But say you forget to put on deodorant, you probably don't smell yourself until like the middle of the afternoon, right? But by that time, the people around you have probably smelled you for for a while. I know I needed that reminder when I was in middle school. So if you're a middle schooler listening to this, no need to be embarrassed. Just put on deodorant. It's cool. Put it on. But I've got a story of, thanks, Doug. I have a story of, 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 of when I uh, exhibited bad wisdom, and I might, I might get some heat for sharing this story, and you'll see why when I share it. 
When I was, I think, middle school, early in high school, me and my cousins, we hung out all the time. We were together every weekend, every chance we got. We'd play in the woods. We'd make bike paths in the woods. And uh, we lived out in West Olive, so kind of in the boonies, so we could get away with some of the things we were doing. Well, we had this friend who was old enough to drive, and we weren't. And so we, we had this friend, John. I won't say his last name, but John, if you're watching, we miss you. We had some great times together. He drove us to the gas station, and we, we bought a little two-gallon container of gasoline to take home. And we took it home, and we, we set it on the sand uh, out, you know, kind of in our driveway. Um, we set it, and we pulled up next to, if, if this pulpit is like the garage, you know, we pulled up right here and set the gas tank like right here-ish. And we were planning on having some fun, right? We had a big backyard, big old fire pit. We were young and, and stupid. Like, students, kids, don't try what I'm about to tell you at home or anywhere, pretty sure it's illegal. But anyway, uh, there was some, some spilled gasoline around this two-gallon canister. And so I thought, well, I'll just light the excess. And so I did. And I lit it. And of course, immediately the flames caught the fumes on fire and the, the, the fire went up the side of the gas tank and right down the nozzle. This wasn't one of those special ones that had the kind of cut off. It was just, just open and it lit on fire and you could see flames just kind of gently coming out. And so I don't remember who it was, but in our, in our great wisdom of youth, we, we kicked the can over. So the fire got bigger. And at this point, the can itself is beginning to melt, right? So uh, now it's not just an enclosed container with this little hole on the top of the spout. Now it is an open container of gasoline that is on fire. And so the garage door is closed. We're worried, like, my parents don't know about this. My cousin's parents don't know about this. John's parents don't know about this. I'm worried, like, my parents are going to find out in the house. They're going to come out, and everything's we're worried about the car, which was parked right here. And now the flames are getting bigger, so we went and got the hose, right? We're going we're gonna to spray this fire out. No, it's legitimate. This is what we did. So we got the hose and we started spraying it and the fire did not go out. Guys, if you have a gasoline fire, do not put water on it. The fire just erupted. And now at this point, it's about as big as the garage. And it's like five, maybe 10 feet from the garage door, a few feet from the car, which the gas, the gas door, the gas tank access was right here. And we're freaking out. We're worried. We're worried. We're now, now we're going to melt the house. We're going to burn the house down. We're going to burn the car. Things are, things are not going well. And then the garage door opens. And my dad uh, is, is standing there in the door of the garage and in the calmest voice I think I've ever heard. You might want to throw some dirt on that. And then closed the garage door and he went back inside. So here we have a clear picture of some very bad wisdom in how to respond to a gasoline fire and how to, how to handle gasoline in general. And some very good wisdom. Of course, we kicked some dirt on it, and it went right out. I mean, the flames were huge, but you cover the dirt, you cover the gasoline with dirt, and everything was fine. We didn't lose the house. We didn't lose the car. Here's a clear picture of when somebody is using bad or using no wisdom at all, but I think, I think James might tell us. Now, if you remember, I said I might get into some heat for sharing that story. Yeah, that was because it was a story about fire. <laughs> uh, James, I think, paints a different picture about wisdom. It's clicking, I think, for people right now. James paints a, a different picture of wisdom that maybe it is harder to discern good wisdom from bad wisdom than we originally thought. Now, folks in Mosaic heard that story just a couple of months ago. I apologize for sharing it again. It's just too good not to share. 
And you've heard this information I'm about to share about who James is and where he's writing to and who he's writing to a couple of times now. But this is a short series, and I think it's a good reminder of the world 2,000 years ago, and there are a lot of parallels to today. So this letter, uh, most scholars would say this is one of the earliest writings of the New Testament, written by a guy named James, who was uh, coincidentally the brother of Jesus. And he's writing about a generation after Jesus. Don't know exactly how much time after Jesus uh, died, resurrected, and ascended, but James is writing to new Christians, probably the, like the first generation after Christ or close to, give or take. Which this means that many of the, the people who are in the churches that James is writing to potentially either were kids when Jesus was walking the earth or, or weren't born yet. Uh, and some of, the, some of them, maybe they, they were alive and well when Jesus walked the earth. Now, you, you think you've read through James and you see James has a heavy focus on the things that we do and the things that we say. He seems to be one of the, uh, one of the heaviest writers on this idea of faith and works. Now, you could imagine if you've got siblings or cousins um, and you're always comparing yourself to them, looking at what they're doing and looking at how much right your mom or dad loves them way more than you. Imagine being James and growing up with a brother who was literally the perfect human being who has ever existed. That's, that's, that's James. And he didn't, he didn't realize who Christ was until after he was resurrected. So now we have this story, uh, or this, this letter that James is writing, and it makes sense that James is maybe a little more focused on, on works because he watched Jesus live an absolutely perfect life. He's, written, he's writing to a group of churches outside of Jerusalem, probably newer Christians who were Jewish converts. And these Christians, who, these new Christians likely were, were shamed for beginning to follow Jesus, for becoming followers of the way, which is what it was called then. Many of these Christians were probably sent away from their families, uh, lost their jobs, uh, relationships turned upside down, they felt oppressed, they were impoverished, and sick of the way they were being treated, and sick of the way life had, had brought them. And many of them were probably weighing whether or not it was really worth following Jesus. And how do you follow Jesus when, when you can't meet in large groups for fear of being called out for, or fear of persecution, or fear of, of retribution. Many of them, it probably felt like the world was against them. It got so bad, this tension was building within the Christians and the Jews um, over the way that they were being treated by, by the government, that they were ready to take things into their own hand. This tension, actually, that James is writing into led to a war, the Judean War of, of 66 AD, which, which led to the temple being destroyed and burned to the ground. This is some real tension that the Christians are feeling. Uh, they're beginning to fight with each other. He'll, he'll talk about that in chapter four. They're beginning to fight with culture. Now, does any of this sound familiar? The parallels in my mind after reading this, it's like it is, it, it is just, James was writing to some churches outside of Jerusalem, but man, was he writing this for us. And so what does James say in chapter 3, starting at verse 13, and since it's a shorter passage, we get to just dive in just a little bit into some of the, the words and the Greek usages of them. So I'm going to read it through, and we're going to back up. And it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But 
If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, and it's in quotations in, in the NIV, such wisdom doesn't come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic even. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that this letter, this letter rather, written 2,000 years ago, speaks truth and grace into our lives today. Father, I pray this morning for wisdom, not just wisdom to show the world where they've fallen short, but wisdom to be convicted that we all fall short. And we praise you that we, we are saved not by our own works, oh, but by your grace, which is a gift. And Father, lead us this morning. Amen. So James is writing to a people who are having a rough time. And what does he say? That, that first verse, let's pick it apart. Who is wise and understanding among you? He's writing to these Christians who are, who are, who are fighting amongst each other and with, and with culture. And he's saying, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. Good life. What does he mean? What does he mean by, by good life? That word good, the kolos is the word in Greek that is using. And, and, and the way that, that kind of biblical language works is often Greek words can have flavors to them. When you're, when you're looking at it in the Greek, you kind of get those flavors or those colors as you dive deeper into it. And, and you maybe have some options as to which direction to go with this word good in terms of life. And the first one I want to, I want to share is this word is often used when talking about somebody beautiful. That person looks good, like my wife. I can say that because she's not sitting right here. Love you, hon. So is James saying that this life that you lead should be like attractive from the outside? For people looking into your life, they might say, man, I want something that you've got. And I don't have it. It looks good. It is beautiful. I want to be a part of it. Is James saying that? How about option two? Good life. A life being in accordance at a high level with the purpose of something or someone. Is, is James saying that our good, our good deeds come from a good life it is a way that our life is good and that it is following the purpose of Jesus Christ? Is, is James saying that to the churches outside of Jerusalem? Or, or uh, the last one, good, of, of, of high moral quality. Is he saying our lives should be characterized by high moral quality? And I think the short answer is for all three, yes. I think James is saying that, that we, we ought to, to live a life that people look at from the outside and say, man, I want a piece of what they have. I want it. 
that we're following in accordance, not with our own purposes, but with the purposes of Christ, who is our moral exemplar, somebody who lived the perfect life. And we're going to fall short, of course. Second half of verse 13 says, well, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show up by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. James now is, is, is differentiating types of wisdom. The wisdom he's talking about is a wisdom that leads to humility, he says. A wisdom that leads to humility. Another word for humility here, gentleness, meekness. A, a wise meekness, a certain kind of wisdom that leads to humility. My favorite definition of this word, not being impressed by self-importance. He's talking to a people who are wrestling with what it means to be followers of Christ and what it means to, be, uh, to, to feel mistreated by the world and by each other, to feel oppressed, to feel persecuted, and many of them were. And he encourages them into wisdom that leads to humility. And he goes on. Here's the opposite. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. This is the opposite of the wisdom he's talking about. If, 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 if your wisdom leads you to bitter envy, if you have those things, don't, don't, don't boast about it. Because if, 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 if you boast about it, in so doing would deny the truth. So what, what is the truth he's talking about? He lays that out in the next two verses, verses 15 and 16. He says, such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic even. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James says, wisdom that leads to these things, that leads to, 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 to bitter envy, to selfish ambition, where your worldview is strictly to look after me, myself, and I. He says, these, this kind of wisdom doesn't come from heaven. It doesn't, it doesn't come from God. It's not a godly wisdom. He says, wisdom that leads to these things doesn't come from heaven, but is earthly. And I don't mean earthly as in like it resembles the trees or creation, earthly as in lacking God unspiritual and demonic even. And he says this, wisdom that leads to these things will only find you disorder and lead you into evil practice. Disorder here, this word James uses twice in his letter before this, in chapter one, verse eight, and chapter three, verse eight, both times to talk about somebody who is double-minded. Somebody, uh, in, in chapter three, he talks about, right, uh, a spring of fresh water. Is that able to, to bring forth fresh water and salt water? Uh, or, or is the tongue able to, to bless and to curse? He's talking about, about somebody who is double-minded, what James is saying is if our ambitions, if my ambitions are centered around me, he says, invariably, it will lead you down a path you don't want to go. And here's the hardest part. What's the alternative to this kind of wisdom? But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the wisdom of Christ. 
Doesn't that sound so refreshing? It's like we hear these words, and it's almost like reading a, a, a fiction novel where, you, where you, you're, you're picturing something so beautiful. It's like, it's like a, 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 a cool river on a hot day or, or listening to the birds chirping in the evergreening trees right now. And it's just refreshing. But I, I feel like sometimes we hear those words, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. We hear those words and we think, oh, that was nice. Oh, better get, better get back to like my work. We hear these words and you think, oh, that's, that sounds great, but that's, that's, that's maybe for the next life. This is the wisdom of Christ. Today, I want each of us and all of us to examine our hearts, to examine our actions, to examine our good life, lifting the hood on our wisdom. And let's ask ourselves if our wisdom is a reflection of Christ, the brother of James, who, uh, when he knew it to be his last day on earth, you know what he did? He spent that evening washing the feet of his disciples, his last day on earth. The one who could have brought a legion of angels to protect him from our cross, but instead took our punishment. That's wisdom. The one who had power and might, but chose gentleness and meekness, that's, that's wisdom. The one who wept at the brokenness of others, but walked beside us like a brother, that's wisdom. It's, it's funny, when we look at the life and wisdom of Christ, I don't think we would hire him to be our ship chopper. You know, you'd ask him, hey, Jesus, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? And he'd be like, ah, oh, you know, to lay down your life is the greatest love for your friends. That, okay, that's, that's nice, but we don't really need that here. Uh, okay, well, if say, Jesus, say it's your last day on earth. What do you do? Probably I'm gonna wash the feet of my, my friends, even the one who'd betray me. Okay, well, Jesus, what, what's, like, what's your greatest ambition uh, in life? I have to love others like I love myself. I don't think we would hire Jesus to be our ship chopper. And if we lift the hood on our wisdom and honestly ask ourselves, if our wisdom was a reflection of Christ, we look at those things and James says, we have to say, that's wise. Man, that's wise. And I imagine James remembers well the life of his brother, all 30 some years of it, remembers well the life of his brother, at least most of it. And he wants so badly for the church to see the wisdom and to see the beauty in a life characterized by humility, gentleness. Mercy and good fruit, sincerity and impartiality. He looks at the church and wants so badly to see a life that is peace-loving and considerate and submissive, a life that, that loves. Who is wise among you, James says, as he remembers the wisdom of his brother Jesus. Let him show it. Our question is, who is wise among us? Let us show it. My friends, there is a, a widening divide in the church, in our cultures. And I think everybody on both sides feels attacked or harmed in some way. On one side, 
people feel uh, accused of, of, of lacking compassion and, and, and lacking a love for life. And on the other side, people feel accused of, of lacking a value of, and for freedom and, and lacking bravery. I think, I think everybody uh, who is going through this pandemic, which is the world, feels a little harmed right now alongside the first century church. Some of us feel harmed by the virus itself, worried for our safety or the safety of, of loved ones who are at higher risk. Some of us feel harmed by doctors uh, where it seems like there's conflicting information. And so some of us feel kind of betrayed. Some of us feel harmed or attacked by our, our government, thinking that you, you had no right to take some of these rights from us. Some of us feel, feel harmed or attacked by our brothers and sisters in Christ who feel accused by each other. Some of us feel harmed and attacked by media. And I want to say the first century church felt harmed by each other, by the government, by people of other faith. And what James says is this, who is wise among you? Let him show it. And so our challenge today is to ask the question, who is wise among us? Let us show it by our humility. Let us show it by our mercy, our good fruit, our sincerity and impartiality. Let us show it by a life that is peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Let us show it by a life that loves. Who is wise among us? Let us show it in such a way that others see it and man, do they want to be a part of it. Let us show it in such a way that reflects the one who bore our sin on the cross, who took our punishment, who spent his last evening on earth washing the feet of his disciples who had every, every opportunity and power and, and right to, to seize what was his as the second person of the Trinity and decided, I'm going to take on the sin of people who don't even love me. And I'll take that to the cross. Who is wise among us? Let us show it by a life that loves. Let's pray. Father, give us faith to be strong and strength to be faithful when we feel harmed, when we feel attacked, when we feel accused. Father, lead us in a wisdom that is full of humility and mercy, that is full of grace and truth, that is full of the kind of wisdom that your son shared for us. A wisdom that feels so countercultural. Father, I confess it was hard for me to even say some of those things because I often don't put them into practice in my own life. We love you. We worship and praise you because you are worthy of our worship and our praise. It's in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit, for your glory that we pray these things, Father. Amen.